You're listening to Rivercast, brought to you by River of Life Church in Gilderland, New York. Now here's Pastor Sean. Take your Bible this morning, if you would, and turn to me Second Corinthians chapter 5. I want to give you three motivations of, of why we should, should care and reach out to people around us. Why are we doing, why are we putting an emphasis, highlighting this who's your one? It really fits within 2 Corinthians 5. This whole section of, of chapters that we're walking through, Paul is unpacking for us what the ministry is like to reach to other people who need Jesus Christ, who need a relationship with him, and who don't have that. And we're kind of packaging it in a who's your one and trying to focus as a church to just help pray for those individuals. Remember prayer, care, and share, right? So who's your one you may forget after this, but prayer, care, and share, I pray that we don't ever forget because it's kind of the pathway that that we can use um, to, to engage people around us. So three just simple motivations that Paul talks about. If you haven't gotten your little uh, prayer guide, I hope if, if you're like me, I I didn't use it Thanksgiving. I got busy. So don't worry about like, oh my goodness, I'm two week, two days behind already. I'm going to be like, oh, just why bother and shelve it? Just pick up where you are. There aren't any calendar dates on this thing, right? So if you don't have one of these, there's some out back. But what I did is I wrote, I'm, like I said before, I'm a little selfish. So I wrote my who's your one, maybe who's your seven or eight or nine. I don't know how many names are here. And, uh, and just pray through the, you know, these are all written out for you. I'm, I'm not a journaler, so I, didn't, I don't really write anything down. So if you don't write things down, it's okay. And if you fill up the page, that's okay too. But make it your own. But as I was praying about God, who would you, who should be my one? I've been, I've been kind of siphoning off some of your connections and family and friends and been praying for and, and, and engaging them. But the three that, that made my list are uh, that God reminded me of that I kind of forgotten and lost touch of are the guys at the bottom of our hill where we take our cars to get worked on. And, uh, and there's three guys there. And I know all there's a, actually a brand new guy. There were just two. And there's a brand new guy who I just met. And, uh, and I'm praying for all three of them by name. I know two of them. I know their family story a good bit. I know quite a bit of their background. One is particularly very open. We can talk about God and spiritual things. And uh, so I feel like my next step with them as I'm praying for them is going to be just some appropriate way. I mean, with all of the cars, with my kids and our cars, I mean, it seems like every week, some, literally, somebody is taking a vehicle down there to get worked on. So we're kind of a known quantity. We're kind of, somehow, I think we're like keeping them in the black. Like we're totally keeping these guys in business, you know. But uh, even, it's funny how God works. I accidentally left my credit card down there. I had the car worked on someday this, this week, Monday, I think. Got a call from him, like, you left your credit card back, so I had to go back down. It's just funny how you have multiple contact points and connections with these guys, but I feel like the next step for me is either uh, getting somebody in my family to make Christmas cookies because they don't want anything that I would make, or going by Dunkin' Donuts and buy, buying a little box of munchkins and three coffees and just saying, hey guys, thank you for doing such a great job in taking care of my family and our vehicles. Just a small little way to just show a little bit of care. Nothing that's weird or expensive and won't take a lot of time, but just one something to do a little extra. That's what prayer care share is about. Pray for them. Find a way to just in those moments to just, you know, just be nice. It's amazing in our harsh world how being nice can go. 
And then praying and looking for that opportunity to somehow convey and share the gospel with them or to invite them to something where they might hear it. But anyway, that's what we're talking all about. So let me read with you. That's actually the, the, the segue introduction to this passage. Three motivations why we should take time to care about the people in our everyday life. Paul says this in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 11. Paul says, Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord... We persuade others, but what we are is known to God, and I hope it is known also to your conscience. We are not commending ourselves to you again, but we're giving you cause to boast about us so that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearance and not about what's in the heart. Paul says, look, guys, here's the deal. We, we try to share the gospel with people because... We have a fear of God and know that we're going to stand before Him. And we're, we're sharing kind of this background of who we are and what we're doing. Not that we feel like we've got to prove ourselves to you, but we know there's some other people out there that are talking bad about us and they're talking smack because we don't wear the cool stuff, because we don't have a lot of money, because we don't have this clothes and that. They're looking at the outward stuff, but we're telling you the heart stuff, reminding you of those things so that when you talk to them, you can talk to them reasonably, intelligently about why we do what we do and why this is important. Paul's helping them to, to have confidence in who they are. And he says in verse 13, For if we are beside ourselves, we would say today, if we're crazy, if we've lost our minds, if we're beside ourselves, it's for God. But if we are in our right mind, it's for you. For the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, it's talking about Jesus, died for all, therefore all have died. Logical. If Jesus died for everybody, it must mean that everybody's dead and needs that, that, that crucifixion, that salvation. And he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. Three motivations this morning, guys, why we should care about the people in our everyday life. This, this who's your one has been helpful to me. To be honest with you, with COVID going on, I feel disconnected from people. I, I think you probably do too. Even this morning, I remember when we would have a crowd here at River that this seemed like average and fairly full. It still seems empty to me, you know, because we were used to a lot more people and now having to do two services and social distancing and some at home and all of that. And, and it's, it's easy to say, well, how in the world can I reach out to anybody? And we, we just, we're all kind of just trying to make into our, you know, make do and get through in our world. And this focus has been helpful to me. It's been a a, a challenge just for me to say, okay, God, who in my world are you reaching out? And some just guys that are just, that I would see regularly, just as a regular pattern of life. And here's three reasons why we should care about reaching out to those people. The first one Paul tells us is because of the fear of the Lord. He says in, in verse 11, he says, Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. Whenever you see the word therefore in the Bible, you need to look up and, and look backwards to what it's kind of concluding or drawing a conclusion. And what we looked at last week in verse 10 is, if you look at your Bible, it won't be on the screen, but we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ 
so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. That's not for people who don't know Jesus. That's for us. We concluded last week that we will all stand before the Lord Jesus Christ as our judge, discerning our actions and our motivations and our attitudes for everything in life, not to see whether we go to heaven or not. That was settled on the cross through Jesus dying for us. But to, to, to weigh out the rewards based on our obedience and our faithfulness to follow Jesus and, and what we've done and how we have followed through with what he sent us to do. So Paul says, look, knowing that we're going to stand before God because out of a fear of God is why we reach out to people around us. We have a, a holy awe, a fear before a, a heavenly Father, before our Lord Jesus Christ that we have bowed in allegiance to, to whom we have bowed that we must obey. And so knowing that our lives are going to be looked at and going to be examined, going to be inspected, that God is our owner, is going to come and He's going to inspect all of the work that we've done, how we've lived day in and day out, and how we've invested in the lives of others. Knowing that, we persuade. We engage other people with the good news of Jesus Christ because God, the Lord Jesus Himself, is going to inspect our investment. I'm reminded of the, the parable that Jesus told. Remember the parable of the talents? Jesus told a story to help us to realize that how responsible that we are to invest our lives today knowing that our Lord is coming back. And he said this, this landowner, this wealthy man, went away on a long trip, and he took three of his servants, and he gave, he gave five talents to one, five, which is a, a, a significant amount of money, and he gave two to another, and he gave one to a third. And he basically told him, he said, do business till I come back, like invest those. Invest them in the kingdom. Take that which I have given you that belongs to me. It's a reminder that our life and all that we have and all that we own actually belongs to God. And God in turn wants us to use it in investing it in the lives of others. And the, when the landowner came back, he expected to receive not just what he had given, but expected interest money, expected investment money, and expected a return on his investment. When he came back, the one who had five said, look, I've made five more. The one that had two said, look, I've made two more. And the one that had one said, uh, I'm sorry, I was a little nervous. I didn't want to lose anything. And I just kind of, I hid it away. And Jesus got angry at the one, at the one who did nothing. And said, what are, what are you doing? You lived irresponsibly. You knew that I was going to come back. Why didn't you obey me and, and invest? See, guys, God has given all of us incredible influence with individuals, contact with people around. He's given us our own salvation when we know and follow the Lord Jesus. And he wants us to live our life investing them for what is his, investing them for his kingdom, not living our life for ourselves, just as I read a few minutes ago, but living our life for our Lord. So the first motivation that we should care about other people is because we're going to stand before God one day. And he's going to ins inspect our lives. And he's not going to inspect a lot of the stuff that we spend time doing and that we care about and things that we spend money on and we spend time and energy on and all of these things. He's going to say, what have you done 
with what I gave you, how have you looked after my interest? And the interests of our Lord Jesus are people, the lives of people around us. Sean, are you saying that I can't ever have any hobbies, that I have to do, I just, I have to live 24-7, like, you know, out on the streets telling people about Jesus? No, I'm not talking about that. But I am talking about that there's not a day that goes by that you and I are not praying and saying, God, would you use me in the life of somebody else? God, I serve you today. I'm showing up for duty today, Lord. I'm punching my clock in for you. I'm not punching my clock in for me today. I'm here to serve you. And God, how would you use me and the people in my life? What I'm encouraging us is we just live our life, how we go through, whether we're getting our car fixed, whether we're getting the brakes repaired, or we're buying stuff, or, you know, whatever we're doing, that we take a few minutes to notice people, to care about people, and to, to follow that, that game plan of prayer, care, and share, and invest in the lives of others. And as that time comes to be bold in our faith and to either present the gospel ourselves or, or have some other opportunity that a person might hear the gospel. Now, it's so interesting that as Paul talks about this, he says, you know, he said, we, we're trying to help you so that people, so that, that when people are kind of dogging us because maybe we don't wear our hair the right way, you know, whatever is cool, or we're not dressing a certain way, that we're not doing this, we're not doing that, we don't have the latest phone that everybody's talking about, you know, all the bet, latest and greatest technology that they might be t knocking us down on the outside, but on the inside, we want you to know what's real and what's important. And, in, and then he tells us, he says, because if we're beside ourselves, it's for God. In other words, if in the process of this, of us trying to persuade others with the gospel, people respond and look at us and say, you're nuts. You're crazy. You really believe there's a God in heaven? Yeah, I really do. Well, you're out of your mind. What are you thinking? That's just, that's crazy talk. What Paul says is if, if people in the process of us sharing the gospel and reaching out to others look at us and say, you're just absolutely crazy. You're just a dumb, educated, ignorant person. You're just so foolish. Why would I ever believe in God? Why would I want to even think about doing that? I want you to notice what Paul says. He says, if we're out of our mind, it's for God. In other words, it's our sacrifice and our offering to God. Now, folks, you know, as I've said many times, I will again, there are enough weird Christians in the world. Please don't add to that mix, all right? Let's not be those people, okay? Can we all agree with that, all right? But at some level, if you're a follower of Jesus and you really believe this book is inspired by the God of heaven is without error and you believe that God sent his only son to this earth, who was born of a, a virgin woman named Mary and who lived an absolute sinless life and died on the cross and he rose again from the third day. In fact, he promises to raise other people from the dead. Most of the world around you are going to think you're nuts. They're going to think you've absolutely lost your mind, that you don't have a brain and you're, you just have not paid attention in school or anything. And our response should be, if that's what the world thinks about us, then that's my offering to God. I'm willing to be seen in that light. You see, knowing that we stand before God as our judge, we persuade others, not based on what other people are going to think and say about us. That's our offering to God. So we win regardless of what other people think or say. Now do it in a gracious way. Do it in a loving way. Do it in a caring way. But, but do it and live our life out this way.
But if we're in our right mind, in other words, for those people who say, that makes sense. I want Jesus too. When you pray and care and you share for other people, there are going to be some along the way that say, I want some of that. And when that happens, when we're in our right mind, what Paul says, it's for you. It's for them. So either way, as we live this lifestyle, carrying Jesus with us everywhere we go and caring for people as we go and sharing along the way, that regardless of what happens, regardless of what other people think and how they respond, it's an offering to God and it's for their benefit and for their good. And we persuade people. We don't cajole them. We don't hit them over the head. We don't pound on them. We don't manipulate them. We don't, uh, I don't know, we just, we share much like the, tr we share the truths and live in such a way that if God's at work in their life and there's anything going on that they can see and hear it and respond to the truth. And think about it this way. The moment, I can't remember the last time I went to a, a car lot to buy a car, but anytime you step onto a car lot, immediately, somebody's there, right? How may I help you? They want to hear what you're interested in, what you're looking for. And they might begin talking to you about the virtues of this vehicle or that vehicle and whatever. And, and we all know the, the, the game, you know, they need to make their money so they can have a job and provide it. And, you know, we need their help to find the vehicle we're looking for. We're not much different than that. All that we're trying to do is to live our life in a way that gets noticed by other people, offering ourselves into their world to be a help to them, sharing with them the virtues of what Jesus is all about. Life is really hard right now. You know, God wants to help you. You may be struggling in this area. You may be struggling with some things you've done. You know what? I have too, but here's how God helped me. You know what? I have a Honda just like that one, and it's awesome. I got 200,000 miles on it. You can't go wrong buying that car, a Ford or Chevy or whatever the thing may be. All that you and I do is share those truths with people, trusting that the God of heaven is already at work and there's something stirring in their soul, and we leave their decision and their commitment between them and God. But that's what Paul's talking about where we persuade. We don't manipulate. We don't browbeat people. We don't, we don't do any of that. But we do reach out because ultimately we're going to stand before God. And God's going to want to know. Our Lord Jesus is going to be like, hey guys, I sent you around the world to tell people about me. What did you do with that? Were you faithful or were you not? Second motivation, why this is important. Not only is it because of fear of God, but it's because of the love of Christ. Look what Paul says. Turn the page of my Bible. Oh, I didn't need to. What happens when you turn the page before you put your glasses on? Verse 14, for the love of Christ controls us. Paul says, look, we're doing this. We persuade people because we fear God. But look, the love of Christ controls us because we've concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. That word controls means to pre press in. It means to kind of squeeze together. It would be what it would be what we do whenever you're bolting something down and you take the ratchet out and you really crank it down because you don't want it to move. It's pressing in on it. What Paul is saying is that the love of Jesus Christ is pressing in on me. And it's 
constraining me, not in a bad way, but in a good way. I can't get away from this. And it's, it's Christ's love. Now, is it the love that we have for Christ? Like for the love of ice cream, right? You know, we love ice cream. Or is it for the love of mom? You know, is it mom loves me? Actually, it's, it's both. You see, it's the love of Christ that constrains us. The fact that we love Jesus Christ, and because we love him, we want to obey him, and we want to share that gospel with others. But it's also the fact that Jesus loved us to begin with, and that he loves other people, that we want to participate in the middle of it. It's actually, it's both of those. The Bible says in 1 John that we love him because he first loved us. Our love is a response to him. Now get this, church, this is really significant. Many Christians live their life constrained by rules and regulations. That's what governs their life. It's called legalism. And they become, they're bound in the middle of that. What the Bible says is that it's Christ's love that constrains us. You see, you can have a set of rules or do's and don'ts and all of that that guide your every move with exactly what you should do and be forced into. But that's really not the way we live our Christian life, according to the Bible. We can be constrained by what popular opinion says. The world around us wants to shame, you know. It's, a, it's, a, it's like, oh, you're a horrible person if you do this and that and all kinds of things. If you use straws that don't biodegrade, you're just the most awful person in the world and all of these things. And some of those things are appropriate. You're just, you're awful. I, I've said it before, but I feel for young parents today, just the shaming that happens on social media. Oh my goodness, you don't... You don't give organic baby food to your kid. What a terrible parent you are. Like, you know, you got to have all of this all perfect and squared away. You're just like, oh. We can be constrained by rules and regulations, fall into legalism. We can be constrained by the opinions of other people and other people's perceptions of us and our own reputation. Oh, folks, you and I don't need to be living our lives worrying nearly so much about the opinions of everyone around us. Not in that way. In fact, there's lies in there, and there's all kinds of middle school drama that has happened in your life and in the lives of other people because people are so worried about how everybody else is around them is going to perceive them. You see, the one motivation that when we trust and receive Jesus Christ that really makes sense for the rest of our life is Christ's love. That's what motivates us. It constrains us is love. Love really isn't that constraining, is it? That's what Jesus talked about. He said, take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I'm meek and lowly of heart. And you will find rest to your souls. Jesus said, yeah, take my authority over you, but I'm not a heavy authoritarian. I'm not an abusive taskmaster. In fact, you're going to find rest to your souls. That's that love of Jesus that comes into our life that changes us and somehow works in our life to where we want to obey Him. I can look back and reflect. Susan and I will have been married for 30 years this coming January. And I can look back as most couples go early on. You know, you have all the romance and the, you know, all, all of that. And then somewhere along the way for most couples, it's just like, wow, there's stuff in here we didn't know. Wow, this is really hard being married and all of that and kicks in. And then when you stay together and you work through those things, your love actually deepens. And by the way, those obstacles are not really as much obstacles as they're just things that you're growing through in intimacy, really becoming more and more one. And as I look today and reflect on my relationship with Susan, 
I know that her love for me today is deeper today than it was 30 years ago. And you know what happens is that her love for me makes me, it constrains me in a good way. Why do I want to be a jerk to a woman that loves and sacrifices deeply for me? It actually constrains me and kind of makes me get in line, if you will. And, and as I love her, <clears throat> that it, as I love her more deeply, that it even more motivates me to live. That's what we're talking about here is that our relationship with Jesus Christ grows deeper. And as it grows deeper, our life begins to be more and more in alignment. And Paul's like, guys, I know the day's coming where Jesus is going to stand as my judge and my whole life is going to be before him. And I want to be found faithful and obedient in that. I don't want to suffer loss because I disregarded and disrespected and just dis ignored everything that he said and lived for me in this world. There will be some Christians who will, who will die and go to heaven, but they will miss out on so much because they ignored things like this in Scripture. But Paul also says, but you know what? As I look, I'm constrained. I'm pressed in, but this incredible that the love that the Lord Jesus has for me, I can't get away from this. I want to obey Him. and I want to share this message. Folks, when we love Jesus more and more, you and I will obey Him more and more. And part of that obedience is not just staying away from the bad stuff in our life. It's actually reaching out to others and caring about what our Lord Jesus cares about. He cares about people in the middle of the world around us. That's what we're talking about with this whole Hoosier One. And this love that the Lord Jesus has for us is best shown in the gospel. This is not just generic love. This is not like Jesus giving you a bunch of Christmas presents, you know, showing love that way or flowers or whatever. It's love that comes through the gospel. That's where Paul goes. He makes a beeline straight for this. He says, this love of Christ controls us because we've concluded that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died, talking about Jesus, for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. You see, the love that God has for us, guys, comes through Jesus Christ who died on the cross and rose again. And everybody that experiences that salvation, that surrenders their life to the Lord Jesus, they live. And that he gave, he sacrificed for you and he sacrificed for me. And he sacrificed himself for the people around us. And there's more people around you that God is reaching out to and has you in the middle of their world just so that you can be a tool in his hand and you can be a part of that blessing. And ultimately, honestly, so that you can reap an even bigger reward in heaven as you just have lived out faithfully in your life, as you've prayed for them, as you've cared for them, and you've done your just best that you know how to do in, in sharing with them. So the third motivation, and this kind of segues into it, the first one is fear of God. We're going to stand before the Lord Jesus, fear of our Lord Jesus. The second one is the love of Christ, that Jesus loves us, and we love Him, and that motivates us. The third one is, is the death of all. But what I just read, We've concluded that if one died for all, therefore all are, have died. This is the most sobering of the three motivations. 
And as I thought through this, the last thing I want to do is put a heavy guilt trip on you or me. And this would be an easy passage to do this. But I do want us to be sober and to take this seriously. You see, what Paul is saying is like, guys, look around. Everybody around us is spiritually dead. They are, they are in the middle of experiencing a worst-case scenario. This is a million times worse than COVID or a pandemic. This is way worse than 9-11. This is way worse than any world war. This is way worse than any casualty rates of anything that we have ever experienced in this world. Paul is saying, guys, you need to look up. If Jesus, we'd love to talk about Jesus who died for all. But Paul says, I want to focus on if Jesus died for all, it means all that are dead. That all are separated eternally from a holy God in heaven without hope, without salvation. They are not half dead. They are not almost dying. They're not maybe going to die. They are dead. And if we don't do something about it, they're going to go into an eternity without any possible hope. Nothing around them. Paul is sobering us to the, the reality that, guys, this is, this is a disaster. It's an absolute spiritual disaster all around us. We become numb to that over time. Honestly, our human brains and hearts aren't big enough to comprehend it. We would, we would all have spiritual PTSD if we lived with this reality to the degree that, that, that we probably should and that Paul has. You see, we have to come to the point where we see the people around us are so lost that they're separated forever from God. And that if we don't do something to help them, there's no hope for them. That we have to do something. Now, if I see somebody going into an emergency room, you know, department, and I mean, they've been gunshot or stabbed, and there are no doctors or surgeons on duty, I'm not going to jump in there like, oh, I got this, I'll handle it, because I know I can't do anything. You wouldn't want me either, like, Sean, uh, no, I'll take my chances without you, please, thank you very much. You don't want me there. But this isn't like that. You and I actually have the solution. We've got the, the secret sauce right in our hip pocket. We've got the solution right with us. And it's the love of Jesus Christ that we can share with people that when they surrender their life to Christ, they go from dead to alive. That's what Paul's talking about. And he's just urging us. He, Paul is just, he's just being real and keeping it very real and honest. He's like, guys, I'm going to stand before God one day and he's going to give account. This love that God, Jesus has for me and I have for him motivates me. But man, there's even something more. People are, they've died. How can I not? How can I not reach out to them? See, of all of these other motivations, this is the one where you and I are the most callous and the most cold when we don't do something for the people around us. This is the one that I feel more than that. I know that I'm going to stand before Jesus and stand accountable. And I'm grateful for the love. And that po that's a positive motivation. And I, I experience that too. But to be real honest with you, the thought, of people that I know and care about around me and me not doing my best and instead me just ignoring them and blowing them off and 
focused on me and what fun I'm going to get out of life or what I can get and make happen. I start feeling a good theological word. I start feeling really yucky inside. I start feeling really selfish. We've all seen those commercials on TV, the sad puppy dogs that are starving, right? You know, take care of the animals. We've seen the, the poor, impoverished kids that are just deeply needy. They're showing the reality to touch our heart to do something. Well, I, I think Paul is kind of doing it long before those things ever came around. He's like, look at the world. They're spiritually dead. The world tells us this. They're, it's, it's like the world is, is trying to go through the garbage dumpster to feed themselves spiritually. They're trying to overcome Half the reason people are doing crazy stuff in life is because they are that, that, that animal that's dying. I mean, we know they're spiritually dead, but they're, they're, they're alive physically, but they're dead spiritually, and they're, just, they're trying to overcome. And we have the solution to fix it. So I, the last thing I want to do, guys, is put a, a guilt trip on any of us this morning. I actually want to leave us with hope, is that you and I can actually do something about it. And it won't cost you very much. It'll cost you a little bit of praying, a little bit of caring in your heart for people. And it'll cost you a little bit somewhere on the way of inviting somebody or doing something. I mean, simple little things like we put out in front of you, this is something you might do. And I may do this with the guys down in the garage. I'll probably do more because I know them better. Um, but, you know, we have one of these little booklets and the seats in front of you. They're there for you to take and take home to use. But let's say you're, you're buying something from a store, even though you're not supposed to shop in person right now. You're, we're all supposed to be in, on, on Amazon, right, or whatever, you're online. But let's say you're at a store or a restaurant somewhere, I don't know, co-worker, whatever, whatever. And you might say somebody who's down or discouraged or something, all, you know, all you can do is just, hey, you know what? This book is really, the truths in this book have helped me and given me hope. I thought it might encourage you this season. There's a lot of people struggling right now, folks, more than normal. Not seeing family, they're down. I noticed, I don't know, it would be interesting, I won't ask you when you all put your Christmas trees up or when you do it, but I went by a, a road out in the country where I live, and I saw four or five houses in a row that had all, of the, all had their Christmas trees up before Thanksgiving. Now, I'm not doing the, oh my goodness, let's be nice to Thanksgiving and not do Christmas beforehand. I've never noticed that before. I think people are honestly, and I'm hearing this from other retailers or whatever, it's starting even earlier because people are looking for hope. They want happiness. They want joy. And Christmas is crowding in even more. People are struggling. And how easy it is for you to do a little something. Say, you know what? This is sharing. If people will read this through, there's enough Bible in here that a person can read this and hear the gospel and be saved. You don't even have to open your mouth besides just saying, here, this has encouraged me. I thought it might encourage you. I thought it might give you some hope in the middle of a yucky season or whatever. There's so many things that we can do. But River, I want to challenge us. I want to think us to take this in the middle of it. We stand before God, and God wants to give us reward. This is not a punitive negative thing. Jesus is just telling us, guys, I'm going to reward you on your faithfulness. So be faithful, because I want to give it to you. Paul's telling us, guys, I love you. the Lord Jesus loves you and we love Him. That motivates us to do something and care. And he tells us over here, he says, look at the reality and we have the solution. So somehow as you live your life, deal with that reality. 
Don't talk people into heaven in your mind. Oh, they're a good person. Oh, they're a nice person. They, they pray and they went to church and they were faithful and did this. Folks, that's not good enough. People need Jesus. They need to give their life to Jesus. He put you and me in their path so we can give them that life. And that should motivate us to live our life every day, putting them out there. So I don't know, River, how this is hitting you. Don't know where you are with all of these things. But this motivates me to want to be faithful. That God wants me to. People need what I have. Lord Jesus loved me and wants me to share it with others. He holds me accountable. One day He's going to reward all of us for that faithfulness. And I'm hoping that these things might encourage you, might challenge you, might help you. The world around us is so socially motivated right now, and it's going to get more so. And I'm not speaking against that. But if we're not careful, we focus on all of the outward social needs of making people comfortable in this life. And all we're doing is setting them up for the ultimate failure where they go into eternity without Jesus. And there, are, there is no social hope. I've increasingly watched Christians be sidetracked a bit. Do we care about people's life and all of that here? Absolutely. Care about the world we live in, about all the different movements and things. We should, that most of them have a kernel of truth somewhere that we need to grab and understand. But all of that, if we could fix every one of those things, and not help a person spiritually know Jesus, then when we stand before our Lord Jesus, He's going to be like, yeah, you did a lot of social movement, and you made people feel better, and you gave them aspirins, but all the while they still died and went to hell separated from me, and you did nothing about it. So folks, let's keep the priorities where it should be. Let's trust God to use us for those individuals in our life. Just trust that God's got some ways that we can persuade and engage and love and represent Him well over these next few weeks. Let me close this in prayer. Father in heaven, I thank you for Jesus who loves us. Lord, I just, the, the love that you have for us is absolutely amazing. And I truly appreciate it more and more, more today than I did 10 years ago. Father, I'm grateful for that. And I understand what Paul means by it constraining us. It motivates us. It presses us in. It, how in the world could we do anything differently? Lord, thank you for that incredible sacrifice that somehow works its way deeper and deeper into our soul and our heart and our mind. And Lord, help us as a church, I pray, to share those same amazing truths with others. And let the results of what happens with them be between them and you. It's not our job. Our job is to just... Pray for them and to care and to share with them. So, Father, I, I pray for each and every person here. I pray especially for the names that are on their books, that are in their hearts and on their minds. I pray, Father, for opportunities to care, just simple little things. Lord, I pray over this holiday season that we would somehow, each one of us, be able to share some way, somehow, that love that you have for them and their need for Jesus. God, would you help us do that? Help us to be faithful, Father, I pray in Jesus' name. Well, River, I pray as you go out, you have a blessed day. I think it's going to be a, a nice, beautiful, sunny day. And uh, take some time to think through these things. If you haven't gotten somebody in your mind, then 
then ask God to put that in your heart and mind. And if you're struggling with that a bit, I'd be glad to talk with you, help you brainstorm, help you think about it. But regardless, consider how God wants to use you to invest in the lives of others. So have a blessed day, good rest of the week. God bless you. Thanks for listening to Rivercast, brought to you by River of Life Church in Gilderland, New York. Visit us on Sundays at 10 a.m. or online at riveralbany.com.